heard me uh, introduce Dr. Phelps, but some of you couldn't come yesterday, and I understand that, so let me give a brief introduction for him. I believe my first um, time meeting Dr. Phelps was, I believe, 2021, when I was going through my ordination process into gospel ministry up at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Scarborough. And he was on, he was one of, I think it was around a dozen or so pastors from the area who came to uh, be the inquest, I mean, the questioners <laughs> for me for the uh, ordination time. And I uh, really appreciated him being there. I don't remember really anything that he asked me uh, on that. And yesterday at the Q&A, which we had at the conference yesterday, we had some questions to ask. And he said, you remember, I was probably very kind to you in your ordination questioning, so you'd be returned that favor if you will. <laughs> we only threw him a couple of more difficult ones, but not bad at all. But uh, since then, he's really been a friend, and I've appreciated getting to know him better. Uh, he's been a counselor. Uh, f- something that relates to our own church, when I was up at uh, uh, Scarborough, really praying about considering where God would move us on to. Um, It was Dr. Phelps being one of the voices that I heard. Um, I believe the situation, I don't know all the details of this, but I I believe you recommended me for a church actually in Rhode Island. That that didn't pan out, uh, but it was that 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 God used in my heart uh, to help move me into the direction of a senior pastorate as well as the voice of Dr. Bruce McAllister, who was one of the speakers at last year's conference, and, of course, my own pastor, Ken Endine. And really between the three of them, I took that as of the Lord uh, to move me in the direction of a senior pastorate. And then, of course, Heritage contacted me, and uh, I've been here ever since. Uh, So in a roundabout way, whether you like it or not, you can thank him for me being here. (laughs) But, uh, no, he's been a friend of Heritage for years, and when Dr. Reimers was here, he came over. They were good friends and, and fellowship together, and he spoke over here. Uh, but we're glad to have him with us today. You come and preach. It's a blessing to be here this morning. It's a privilege to be back in New England. I shared with the folks yesterday that my heritage is from this area on my mother's side. She was born in Malden, Massachusetts, way back in 1929. I grew up there, graduated from Malden High School, met my father when she went to school in Chicago. She was a bit older by that time, and my father had been married, and his first wife had died uh, quite tragically from Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. They'd only been married 21 months, but he met my mom, and I'm glad for that or I wouldn't be here today. And so my mother was from the Boston area, and my father from Kentucky. So I'm the result of a cultural mixed marriage. Uh, But I thank the Lord for both uh, sides of my heritage. I had the privilege of serving in Concord, New Hampshire for 18 years, an hour north of my mother's home, and now I serve two hours north of my father's home where he was born. I think the Lord has an, a wonderful heart in allowing me to enjoy both places of service. We're going to take our Bibles this morning, please, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke in the 10th chapter. If you're a follower of the news, you're well aware that we're living in perilous times. And in perilous times, there are messages of peace that move our hearts and instruct our footsteps. We find such a message of peace this morning in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. Jesus is visiting the home of his friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Here is a story that's familiar to us. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, we have two very familiar stories. You have the story of the Good Samaritan, and we have the story of the Lord's visit to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus when 
Martha was cumbered about with much doing, and Mary sat at the Savior's feet. These stories are only found in the Gospel of Luke, but the Spirit of God draws our attention to them often, and this morning I want to speak to you on the theme, how to turn anxiety into serenity. How to turn anxiety into serenity. We're reading from Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. The Word of God says, Now, It came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she should help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Let's ask the Spirit of God to lead as we uh, serve in this passage together. Let's pray together, please. Father, give us wisdom today. May the Spirit of God be our teacher. For we know without the Spirit of God's teaching, our hearts are cold and your word is silent. So Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would open our hearts, open our eyes, and that our wills would be surrendered Lord, we know that often one of the most common sins that we commit is the sin of serving you without confidence, without peace, serving in an anxious way, bearing that burden that you caused us and asked us to lay upon you, to cast our cares upon you, knowing you care for us. So Lord, remind us of that this morning so that we go out from this place knowing that the Lord cares, knowing that we can lay our burdens at your feet knowing that you'll lift us up. And Lord, I pray for those who are wrestling with a spirit of discontent this morning, a spirit of agitation, that you'd find us calmed by the ministry of the Savior who calmed the heart of Martha so many years ago and calls us uh, to live in the serenity of the Spirit. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. A camper wrote home to his mother and father, Dear Mom and Dad, Our scoutmaster told us to write to our parents in case you saw the flood on TV and worried. We're okay. Only one of our tents and two of our sleeping bags got washed away. Luckily, none of us got drowned because we were all up on the mountain looking for Chip when it happened. Oh, yes. Please call Chip's mother and tell her he's okay. He can't write because of the cast. We'll come home on Saturday if scoutmaster Long gets the car fixed. The wreck wasn't his fault. The brakes worked okay when we left. Scoutmaster Long said that his car was old. You have to expect something to break down. That's probably why he can't get insurance on it. We think it's a neat car. He doesn't care if we get it dirty. It's hot. Sometimes he lets us ride on the tailgate. It gets pretty hot with 10 people in the car. He let us take turns riding in the trailer until the highway patrolman stopped and talked to us. Scoutmaster Long's a neat guy. Don't worry. He's a good driver. This morning, all the guys were driving off the rock, diving off the rocks and swimming out in the lake when Dave dove in the lake and cut his arm. We all get to see how the tourniquet works. <clears throat> also, Wade and I threw up. Scoutmaster Long said it was probably just food poisoning from the leftover chicken. <clears throat> I have to go now. We're going to town to mail our letters and buy bullets. Scoutmaster Long has a big pistol. He's going to teach us how to shoot it. The reason we have to buy more bullets is Jimmy threw all the others in the fire. 
sure was a loud noise. It was neat, though. It sounded like a bunch of bees flying out, the, out of the fire. Don't worry about anything. We're fine. Love, Cole. P.S. How long has it been since I had a tetanus shot? <laughs> In their book, Worry-Free Living, Minrith, Meyer, and Hawkins observe that worry is the number one mental health disorder in America today. We are a stressed out, uptight society. We are a nation afflicted by anxiety. And the symptoms of our anxiety are many and they should be observable by all who are considerate. There are cardiac palpitations, there is mental paralysis, gastrointestinal disorders, insomnia, shortness of breath, headaches, high blood pressure. All these things are symptoms of our high anxiety. People are suffering really from self-inflicted wrestling of the heart that causes all kinds of physical disorders and the plague persists. Folks, when we open our Bibles, we discover that our Lord wants us to enjoy worry-free living. And for some, that sounds like an impossibility. But our Lord desires us to enjoy worry-free living. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 27, Peace I give unto you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's not a suggestion. That's the commandment of our Savior, for he wants us to have worry-free lives. The Spirit of God has been given to us, who are believers, to calm us so that we might serve him with joy. Philippians chapter 4 says in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, the unbeliever can never enjoy the peace that the true believer enjoys. Once we've accepted the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has provided by his death and burial and resurrection on the cross, we have reason to know that our sins have been forgiven and to know that we have a home in heaven. These things are written unto you that you might believe on the name of the Son of God and that you might know that you have eternal life and that life is through his name. Do you have eternal life? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? If you have, then you live under the commandment of the Savior to have a worry-free life without anxiety. As we've opened our Bibles to Luke chapter 10, I think the Spirit of God is providing for us here in this passage a prescription for all those who would live anxiety-free lives. We find in this passage the reasons for much of our anxiety. We find in this passage some of the results that come when we're living lives that are filled with anxiety. And most importantly, we find in this passage the remedy that the Spirit of God has given through the counsel of the Savior for all who would live lives free of anxiety. I want to begin by looking at the reasons for anxiety that are discovered here. It's interesting, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul talks about Luke, who writes the gospel that we're reading. He talks about Luke, and he calls Luke the beloved physician. You see, Luke was a practicing physician in the times of the Lord Jesus Christ. He traveled with the Apostle Paul, and so in truth, the gospel of Luke is the Apostle Paul's gospel. 
But Luke, the beloved physician, it seems, as we open to this passage, is providing for us a medical chart about the condition in which Martha was living when Jesus the Savior came into her house. We read in verse 41, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled. Martha is careful. She's anxious. She's troubled. She's stressed out. And we ask the question, so why was Martha stressed out when Jesus was in her house? We find the answer there in verse 38. We read, it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. It's interesting when you study the account of Martha and Mary and Lazarus that the typical order of the four times that we read of these people who become familiar to us in the Gospels, Martha is mentioned first in each of the occasions that we read of this family. Why was she mentioned first? Wouldn't you expect that her brother Lazarus would be mentioned first? Some believe that Martha was the oldest in the family. Others believe that it was Martha's house in which Mary and Lazarus were living. What I know about this passage is that Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived in a place called Bethany. Bethany was just two miles away from the heart of Jerusalem. On the eastern side of the Mount of Olives, if you crest the Mount of Olives and look down onto the Temple Mount, on the eastern side of that mountain is a little place called Bethany. And so it was that Martha opened her home to entertain Jesus often. When he was serving in Jerusalem, if he wanted solitude and a place of rest, he would walk the two miles over to Martha and Mary and Lazarus' home, and there he would find his rest. So let's put on our sandals for a minute and enter the picture that we have provided for us in this familiar passage, asking the question, what is it that causes Martha's anxiety? And so we asked this morning, how many of you have ever hosted a dinner party in your home? When we lived in New Hampshire and my wife would have the family in for Thanksgiving, I found it was really beneficial for me to take our kids and go climb Mount Kearsarge in the morning. Getting the kids out of the house, the nieces and the nephews, even the aunts and uncles, when my wife was busying herself to serve the Thanksgiving meal, seemed to be a wise decision. We built up our hunger and her anxiety was relieved. She's opened her home to a crowd of people this is not a holiday meal, but it was a big meal nevertheless. You see, on the surface, the reasons for Martha's anxiety seem obvious. She has a crowd to please. Verse 38 reminds us that as they went, that's plural. Remember, Jesus traveled with 12 disciples. So when he came into a village, there would be 13 of them. And add to that crowd of 13, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, you're finding that she's feeding a crowd of at least 16 people in her little home there in Bethany. And I'm told on good authority that Peter was the original hungry fisherman. And so as they're coming into this home, they're coming with big appetites, and Martha has a big job to do. What's she preparing? I don't know. She's preparing a kosher meal. I know that. So there's a lot going on. Maybe it's leg of lamb. Maybe it's matzo ball soup. But Martha is wanting to have the meal out on time. Jesus' day has been filled with activities. Her burden is to make sure that this is a pleasant occasion. Who wouldn't be a nervous wreck 
She's nervous about the situation at, at hand, but below the surface where the Spirit of God wants us to see her life, we discover the real reasons for Martha's anxiety. There's a key word that Dr. Luke puts on this medical chart. It's there in verse 40. Martha was cumbered. She was cumbered. It comes from a word, parapispao, from which we get our word perspective. Her perspective is scattered like a periscope. She's looking all around. What a picturesque word. She's being pulled in every direction. Martha's earthly cares are keeping her from having an eternal perspective. Jesus warned in Mark 4 and verse 19, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things can choke out the word of God. So Luke sets Martha's disposition against the disposition of her sister in this passage, for we read in verse 39, she had a sister called Mary. And Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Did you know that, that Satan often can distract us from that which is most important by helping us to focus on that which is always urgent? Mary is focusing on what is most important. She's sitting at the feet of the Savior. Martha is distracted by what is urgent. She's trying to get a meal out. Martha is focusing on hospitality. Mary is focusing her life on this occasion on learning what it means to be holy. Martha, Martha, Jesus says in verse 41. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. Verse 42, Jesus says, but one thing is needful. Mary has chosen that good part. Now, Dr. Luke describes Mary at the feet of the Savior, listening to his word. He does so because he wants us to hear and understand what the one thing is that is most needful. The one thing that's most needful, of course, is to spend time with Jesus Christ. The scene that's found in Luke chapter 10, listen now, the scene that's found in Luke chapter 10 is lived out very often in our Christian experience. Here's a common problem. When our time with the Savior is limited, our anxiety will always grow. When our focus on the Savior has been skewered in other directions, our anxiety of heart is always going to grow. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, Jesus is introduced to us as the Prince of Peace. Jesus alone gives peace. My peace, he said in John 14 and verse 27, I give unto you. It's a unique peace. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. And then the commandment, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Martha pictures the friend of Jesus who is serving the Lord to exhaustion. But she's failing to have a life of personal devotion to the Lord. Did you know the most expensive car in the world right now is a Bugatti Veyron Supersport? Now, if you're interested in buying a Bugatti Veyron Supersport, you'll find that it's a 1,200 horsepower automobile. It's the fastest car that's legal for driving on the roads or the streets. It can go upwards of 267 miles an hour. That's a pretty fast car. We came through Dover this morning at 30 miles an hour. We'd have been here a lot faster had we been driving a Bugatti Veyron Supersport. Now, if you want to buy one, 
It comes at a cool price of $2.4 million. Imagine you had bought one. You're driving down the road, having a good time, keeping it under the speed limit, having everybody whistle when you go by. You pull up to a traffic light, and as you pull up to a traffic light, you feel a shuddering in the motor. That causes you concern. And then there's a sputtering that goes on. And then the, the vehicle dies. You look at the gas gauge and you realize you've forgotten to put gas into your Bugatti. What have you thought about? But here's the good news. Just around the corner, there's a gas station and it's open. So you get behind your Bugatti and you begin pushing it to the gas station. You know what? You still have a very sharp looking car. It still has 1,200 horsepower under the hood. You're still going to a destination that you want to go and you're going with your car. There's only one unfortunate part. You have no power in the car for it to accelerate you to the destination. You know, that kind of describes a lot of people's Christian lives. They still have the Lord as their Savior. They're still going in the right direction. But they're doing all the pushing. And the power of the Spirit doesn't seem to exist in their daily activities. Dear Christian, you can be cumbered about with many things and find yourself doing ministry without the power of God in the ministry. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, can you finish it? You can do nothing. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 reminds us, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, some recognize themselves in Martha. And I want to be careful here, <clears throat> but especially after a day like was enjoyed yesterday. A day like was enjoyed yesterday, as Pastor Jose wisely said, cannot happen with just the pastor serving. And so it requires many servants. But the question to ask on the morning after, was I frustrated yesterday? Did I go home weary last night in my well-doing? Or can I honestly say I found it a great blessing because I was serving in the power of the Spirit of God? Now, some people will face those walls of great responsibility and finding themselves agitated in every direction, and they will reason this way. I know what I need. I need a sabbatical. Be careful. There's a balance in the Christian life. I could have turned for a text this morning to Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, and reminded you that the word of God says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That's a, a great challenge for us, to be up and moving in service for the Lord. Martha was fulfilling that part of the challenge. But her Christian life was not in balance. She was engaged in public service, if you will. But not so much in private fellowship. And it's spilling over now as we discover the results of her anxiety in this passage. We've looked at the reasons for her anxiety, and we found that those reasons are common to all of us. But what were the results? In verses 40 and 41 of the text that we read this morning, we find some very compelling information. Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and she came to him, that being Jesus, and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath let me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she should help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, or as we'd say here in New England, Martha, Martha, <laughs> thou art careful and troubled about many things. I look at the anxiety that's evident in Martha and I realize I've been there. 
I know I've been there, not just because I like to confess it of heart, but because I see myself in this page. As I look in this page, I see Martha's anxiety-filled lifestyle, and it's seen at least on three different levels. Consider the results of her anxiety conversationally in verse 40. She's brash. Literally, she breaks into the conversation that Jesus is having. She came and she said, she's brashly walking into this room where Jesus is teaching. She comes and she says, and she's critical. She says, tell her, tell my sister, literally to carry some of the weight. I'm carrying all these details alone and my sister's not even helping. She's very self-centered. In verse 40, she says, I've been left alone to serve. My sister has left me alone to serve. And literally this reads this way in the original language. Me! She's left me alone. Me! (laughs) She's very focused on herself. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. When I find myself in my home situation, my ministry situation, my employment situation, if you will, feeling like I'm the only one who really gets the responsibility and no one else is keeping up. You know, this can happen in pastor's life. I heard of the pastor who said to a deacon, sometimes I wonder what this church would do without me. The deacon responded, pastor, sometimes we'd like to find out. (laughs) When our hearts are filled with anxiety, It shows up in our vocabulary. We become very self-centered. And that self-centeredness exposes our wicked hearts. Don't just consider the results of her anxiety conversationally, but what about emotionally? Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful. Interesting word, this word careful. It's used 23 times in the New Testament. Typically, it's translated in the King James Version, care or carefulness, But it literally, and this is my translation for it, it literally means you're going to pieces. Martha, Martha, why are you going to pieces? She's like a lot of people who have been heard to say, this is my nervous breakdown. I've earned it. Don't you dare get in the way. She feels she's justified in interrupting the Lord as he's he's teaching. Jesus describes her as troubled in verse 41 at the end of the verse. Martha, you're troubled an emotional word. You're disturbed. He's pulling the veil off, if you will. This industrious woman who has so much responsibility and wants to feed this delicious meal to Jesus and his disciples, the Lord doesn't, doesn't look at it as cute. He doesn't look at it as normal. He looks at it as a situation that's really tragic. In our scripture reading this morning, we were in Matthew chapter 6. Let's go back there, Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, we began our reading in verse 25. And I want to remind you this morning that these are not suggestions of the Savior. These are commandments. This is not just a trite passage that should be read and appreciated. This is a passage filled with truth that needs to be read and applied. And so we get real as we open the mirror of God's word to verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. And the Lord says, I say to you, take no thought for your life. Don't be anxious for your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or what, you're, what you will put on your body. 
Is not your life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the fowls of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you better than they? Now which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? And why then are you taking thought for your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, will he not so much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Let's pause here. The real problem with an anxious heart is a faith problem. You're saying, God, I don't trust you. It's a faith problem. I've got to solve this problem on my own. I have a right to this agitation. Do you know how much responsibility I'm carrying right now? Why? I'm absolutely essential to this organization. And if no one else can do it, I can do it. And by the way, I can criticize those who don't do it with me. What's Jesus say in verse 31? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying... What shall we eat or what shall we drink? We'd say these are essential needs. Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things, the Gentiles say, you're living just like the world. How did it happen? You're living like the world. Martha has taken her eyes off the Savior, put her eyes on the pots and pans in the kitchen. She's got her eyes on that which can bring physical nourishment. But she's taken her eyes off the one alone who can give spiritual nourishment. So we come back to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, having discovered what anxiety looks like conversationally and having discovered what anxiety looks like emotionally, I want us to consider what anxiety looks like relationally. We can imagine the banging of the pots and the pans in Martha's kitchen. She wants to get her sister's attention. Folks, she wants to pull her sister's attention away from looking at Jesus. To help her do something practical, something far more practical than spending time in personal devotion. And listen to what she says in verse 40. She was cumbered with much serving and she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, dost thou not care? Oh, that my sister hath left me alone. She's accusing the Savior of being uncaring. We all can do that. We can get so busy and so troubled with so many things that are happening. We can become so overtaxed with the affairs of the world and the news that just happened this week. And all the anxiety that's round about us, whether it be with global warming or political situations or inflation that's on the rise or international challenges, we get our hearts so stirred up that without knowing it or thinking about it, certainly without intent, we're actually saying, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? Ryle says, and so saying, the woman sadly forgot who she was and to whom she was talking. She's accusing those that she loves of negligence. She's accusing the Savior of being uncaring, and she's accusing Martha, or Mary rather, of neglecting the work that was so necessary you know, it's easy to accuse those that you love when you've already accused God. 
to accuse your husband of not helping out or your wife of not carrying her own. Martha, after all, was putting herself first. It was her agenda. It was her responsibilities. It was her priorities. Listen, be careful. When you start blaming others and pitying yourself, it's indicative of a heart that's wandered from the Lord. Worry, you see, is unbelief that wears a devilish disguise. We have a commandment of the Savior, not a suggestion, to live lives that are worry-free. Our anxiety dishonors God. Our anxiety disrupts our friendships. Our anxiety discredits our service for the Lord. Now, we've considered the reasons for Martha's anxiety, and we can identify with those reasons. We've looked at the results of her anxiety. I'm so thankful that Dr. Luke, as he puts together this medical chart, provides for us some remedy for the anxiety that we sense. The remedy, of course, comes from the one who's the good physician, the great physician, when he says in verse 41, Martha, Martha, thou art careful, you're anxious, you're troubled about many things. There's the diagnosis. Here comes the prescription in verse 42. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen that good part, and it will not be taken away. Martha expected Jesus <laughs> to say, Mary, come on, get up. Get in the kitchen. You need to help your sister. That is absolutely not what Jesus said. Instead, he, instead, he straightens out Martha, and as he does so, he speaks to all of our hearts. Notice, Jesus is not condemning Martha for her service. Jesus is not counseling Martha to slow down. Jesus instead is saying there's one thing needful, one thing important while you do the urgent, and that important part is what your sister is doing. What's he saying? He's saying the answer is found in that one thing. What is it that Mary was doing? Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. What's the remedy? Listen, what's the remedy for our anxiety? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. And you say, well, how do I do that, Pastor Phelps? Well, we do that by getting in God's word. Jesus, after all, is the human embodiment, the human and divine embodiment of the word. He's the logos, the word that was made flesh. And so when I'm in God's word, the 119th Psalm says in verse 165, great peace have they who love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. How do we move from anxiety to tranquility? We sit down and we listen, and we find in God's word everything that's necessary for our troubled souls. Very important that we say this and say it again. The Lord's not saying stop serving. He's not saying let your agitation and your anxiety be a cue that you should back out. A lot of people do that. They find themselves filled with anxiety instead of looking at the cure that God's word provides. They look at the situation and they, they call out service for the Lord as the cause for anxiety. That's not the cause in this passage. The cause is slipping away from fellowship with the Lord. We are called upon to listen to his promises and find peace. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you so that you can boldly say the Lord is your helper. You don't need to fear what men will do unto you. We know his promise. He'll supply all of our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We know that the word of God tells us, and this is ever so important for us to remember always, I have been young, now I'm old, David said in Psalm 37. I've not seen the righteous forsaken. I've not seen his seed begging bread. What a wonderful description of the promises of God being filled out in the lives of his people. 
We need to learn from the people of God. These things happen to them for our examples and look to the principles of God's word. Take your Bibles with me and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 11. John chapter 11. As we turn to John chapter 11, we enter into a text and a situation that's occurring just months after the Lord Jesus had been in the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Months after he had challenged Martha to learn from Mary, Martha's brother now has died. You remember the text, John chapter 11. Let's ask the question, these months after the situation where the counsel of the Savior was given to the heart of Martha, did she learn from his counsel? Look, when Jesus spoke to Martha, she was serving him, but serving him with a divided heart. Now something's about to happen in the life of Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, and Lazarus is going to die. And we ask the question, what has Martha learned from the counsel of Jesus? And we find our answer in Luke, or in John rather, chapter 11, beginning in verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Without question, Martha believes in the power of Jesus. She knows that Jesus could have kept Lazarus alive had he come and healed him when he was sick unto death. Now listen to her faith explained. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? She answers, Yea, Lord, I believe. I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which would come into this world. And when she had said so, she went her way. And she called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, The Master's come, and he's calling for you. Do you see the growth in faith in Martha? <laughs> she believes that Jesus is the Son of God. She expresses her faith with the same words that Peter expressed his faith when he received the commendation of Jesus. She expresses her faith in the resurrection and she knows that Jesus has the power of the resurrection. What a wonderful testimony she has. Now let's look over at Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he'd raised from the dead, there they made him a supper. Oh, Martha served. Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment and spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Thus he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had, had the bag and bare that which was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone, speaking of Mary. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. Martha and Mary had both gained a great deal from sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha, ever the servant, still serving the kitchen. 
My, how she served in the kitchen with a faith that couldn't be shaken, even when she encountered the death of her brother. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, grew to the point when she made a great sacrifice with great understanding that she did it unto the day of his death. Martha and Mary provide for us examples of those who have been cured of their anxiety. The cure doesn't come in trying to do more. The cure comes in trying to focus more on the Savior. And so I asked the question this morning, are you living in sin? Well, I'm just wired more in a high-strung manner than some. No, no, I didn't ask that. Don't blame your anxiety on your personality. Don't blame your anxiety on your responsibility. Don't blame your anxiety on those who round about you are causing all kinds of agitations and won't carry their weight. Understand that the way anxiety is cured is by sitting at the feet of the Savior. And he didn't make a suggestion. He gave us a commandment. Those who don't listen to his commandment are living in sin. But how gracious he is in his sweet reminder to Martha not to say, Martha, you shouldn't be in the kitchen. In kindness, he says, Martha, you should learn from Mary. And may we all today learn from Mary and Martha and learn from the Savior to give our anxiety to him, casting all our cares upon him with this great assurance. He cares for us. Will you bow with me, please, as we pray? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and no one looking around. Friend, in the quietness of this moment, we have a strong admonition that we find so easily violated. The message of the Spirit of God today requires the humility of heart and the transparency of spirit for us to say, Lord, I see myself in the Word. I don't want to look in the mirror of your Word and go out unchanged. So friend, this morning, if the Spirit of God has convicted your heart by the words of the Savior, would you simply say, Lord, forgive me. I've spoken unkindly to others. I've excused my agitated state by saying it's my personality or my heredity or my responsibilities. Lord, now I see that I've taken my eyes off you in the high-stress situations. Lord, forgive me. The poet wrote, things that once were wild alarms cannot now disturb my rest closed in everlasting arms, pillowed on thy loving breast. Oh, to lie forever here, doubt and care and self-resign. While he whispers in my ear, I am his, and he is mine. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, there may be somebody in this room who at this point in their journey has never come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Maybe the spirit of anxiety in your heart has been so strong that it's driven you to church this morning with the question, how can, I, how can I rid myself of this load? Friend, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he died carrying your load and mine. He picked up the burden of our sin. The Bible tells us he nailed it to the cross. Forever paid for by those who by faith will turn to him. Jesus paid it all. And friend, if you'll look to the cross of Calvary and see that Jesus died there, not for his own sin, but for yours.
And by believing in faith that he came from heaven, taking upon himself the form of a servant, and was obedient unto death, even the death of the, of the cross. He died for you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you transfer the burden of the guilt of your sin to him today, and accept the forgiveness that he's provided by his death, burial, and resurrection, you can have everlasting life. And dear Christian friend, that's the source of anxiety-free living. Jesus paid it all and has given to us the forgiveness of sin. So in the quietness of this moment, if your heart is heavy and you know you've lived an anxiety-filled life, we simply ask for his forgiveness and reassess your ways with a commitment, Lord, that I'll be in your word. Father, we thank you that your word is like that mirror. So I pray that you'd help us to leave this service today more fit to serve you and understanding the need to seek the Savior when in the spirit of anxiety we're coming apart at the seams. May we know that that's the one and only cure. and May we find it sufficient. For we know that you're all sufficient to meet all of our needs. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.